Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Sean Patrick. With me is our co-host, Jeff Lassiter. How's it going? And uh, Bob is off again this week. He will be back in two weeks, hopefully, if all goes well. So just uh, wish him a, a speedy recovery from whatever it is he's doing, like a job or life or whatever. <laughs> I'm beginning to doubt your dedication to Sparkle Motion. <laughs> No, he owns his own business, and I mean, <laughs> that's priority. And like a family or whatever, which it. is like dumb. Who spends time on family? Oh, my God. I mean, I just, I grew up hearing, oh, my God, if you're a homo, you can never get married or have kids. And I was like, okay. And now all my <laughs> friends are like, like now all my friends are like, you should get married and have kids. You can do that. And I'm like, um, no, thank you. He's like, why? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> i love babies just other people's babies that go home eventually <laughs> to leave me alone you know what i mean i love kids they taste like chicken <laughs> that's an old bit from herman's head if you remember that tv show vaguely that is a deep cut though wow oh um, of course of course you can find us on facebook facebook.com and everyone's a critic on twitter it's uh uh it's Critics Pod on Twitter. Of course, uh, I'm Podcast Sean on Twitter. Jeff? Uh, at Jeff Lasseter. Yeah, and of course, let's just follow the show, share the show. Uh, find us on Patreon as well. We've got uh, a Patreon bonus going up, uh, hopefully this week, uh, that is just me and Jeff talking about actually providing a full-length commentary for Friday the 13th. Uh, the plan uh, for that is to just, it's going to be only for patrons until the next Friday the 13th, and then We'll release it on that day. Uh, speaking of speaking of bonuses, of course, right now on our feed, you can find the uh, uh, the first episode of Everyone's a Critic 1993 with myself and MJ and Amy. And uh, that is on Leprechaun. And episode two drops hopefully next week with Body of Evidence, which we'll talk about a little later on in this show. But right now we want to start with the two new movies this week that Jeff didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> good job jeff uh wait, your dedication to sparkle motion now uh plane stars gerard butler as the pilot of a plane who uh ends up having to save his passengers after they uh get struck by lightning the plane gets struck by lightning it goes down in some uh i don't know if it's a fake island or real islands i'm not sure who we're who we're re actually othering in this movie uh the uh, plane goes down, they get uh, set upon by vaguely Pacific Island people, and uh, they get taken hostage. The, the captain, along with another guy, has to save them. Mike, Mike Coulter is the other guy. Uh, he ha happens to be a prisoner who is being transported on this particular flight, and who also, of course, just as luck would have it, he's also like a former Marine or Merchant Marine or whatever they call it. He's just got a lot of, he's got military training, so he's going to be very valuable in this situation they set about killing a bunch of vaguely pacific island people and and saving the passengers and this movie is exactly everything that you would expect of a gerard butler action movie it's more competent i think than the uh fallen movies but that's not saying much uh gerard butler doesn't have a lot to do so they don't let him talk much which is great that's really playing to his strengths just, just have him be as physical as possible and don't have him deliver any dialogue and you're in good shape. You're really in good shape there. Uh, this movie is bad. I don't recommend it, but it's, I mean, I, I was expecting far worse and certainly I didn't expect it to be uh, not the worst movie of the, of the weekend. There's actually a worse movie this weekend than this. So is this like uh, Airplane Has Fallen? Something like that, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, how like everything used to be die hard on a on a yeah. this thing, die hard on a that thing. Now everything is has fallen. <laughs> Plane has fallen, literally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. It, it's just I don't. I, I'm Jordan Butler has long been like my least favorite actor. I just I just don't care for his particular style and this is going back over a decade now i mean i mean we're talking about when he worked with katherine heigl and jennifer aniston on like two of the worst romantic comedies ever made and then came the fallen movies which are just abysmal i just find them just unwatchable 
Uh, and yeah, and he's he was in a movie I think last year that actually was pretty good, but that was directed by Joe Carnahan, which makes a big difference. He's an amazing director. He knows what he's doing behind a camera and can and knows how to use tools like Gerard Butler, and he certainly is a tool to be put to use. I. Uh, yeah, plain, just, it's not great. I don't recommend it. Jeff, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to share just on your interpretation of plain? Well, considering the last two times I've been burned by anything Gerard Butler's in, I was just like, you know what? I will wait till it's available to stream, and then mm-hmm. I'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, by the way, I just finally saw plain six months later. <laughs> There, there are going to be far better things to do with your time, like your taxes or uh, cutting your toenails, whatever it is. You, you know, just something that's not watching this movie is probably better for you. That's it. Like I said, if you're like a hardcore action fan, fine. You know, if you don't mind seeing everything you've ever seen before in an action movie, fine. If you're just looking to have something on in the background that is vaguely action related, this that good, good. This is for you. Take it. This is your movie. Uh, otherwise, it's just not anything I could possibly remotely recommend. Uh, the other movie is somehow worse. House Party, the remake of the Kid and Play uh, movie from the 90s that I, I really like. Uh, I find that film to be very charming. It's got a lot of nostalgia for me. The Kid and Play, you know, are, are not actors, but they had a lot of charm about them. They had amazing chemistry because, of course, they did. They were, you know, the music they did together pretty well demonstrated that, but, like, their chemistry is phenomenal, and they were having a great time making that movie. This movie barely qualifies as a movie. Like, the, the, the script just is almost non-existent. They, I don't think they actually wrote a script for this movie. They just arrived on set every day and somebody said, all right, uh, just come up with something that's vaguely related to a plot about you guys needing money. And I don't know, you're getting kicked out of your house. So you need to get money for your house. Well, also your daughter needs to go to school. So use, use that as a motive, whatever, just let's get to get, let's get Snoop Dogg in the movie, whatever. Let, we're going to go to LeBron James's house and LeBron James is going to show up and be the best thing in this movie and then be gone. And, Ooh, this movie is hard to watch. There are just, just, there's just no logic to the storytelling. Everything is just ripped off from the first movie and badly ripped off. And it's just there to just go, hey, hey, remember this? It's like a movie just poking you in the ribs constantly. Hey, hey, remember this? Remember when, when the other guys in the other movie, they did this? Yeah, we're going to do that too. Oh my God. It's, it's the worst kind of like, this is like taking some out of your something out of your refrigerator that's 20 years old and putting it in the microwave and thinking that you can eat it. Like that's how this that's what this movie is. Total and complete hot garbage. Uh LeBron James shows up and and in the end and he's he's the best thing about the movie. He's the only character that makes any sense because he's upset that there are a bunch of people in his house throwing a party. Uh they were not supposed to be there. Uh, he acts like an actual human being in that scenario, which is again one of the only guy, one of the only person people to do that in this movie. Uh, and then, of course, you know, to 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 provide the only watchable moment in the movie, he plays basketball because these guys—that's the amount. That's the amount of imagination this movie has is that we've hired LeBron James to be in the movie. Of course, he's going to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this so so much. This is. Uh, an early candidate for the worst movie of the year, Jeff. Oh, I mean, I saw the original in college. Yeah. And I just remember it just being, you know, like fun, but there was a plot. I don't, I yeah. don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, a plot. I, I just, I, why would you, there are movies that, yeah, you can remake movies, but why? They, why so many good ones movies? That, Remake a bad movie. Go find yeah. a bad movie and make it better. <laughs> I just, I I really want people to start thinking about stuff before they do it. But <laughs> I mean, we know that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it is really, it, it, it blows my mind that I, that Hollywood just thinks we, we just want our own brain served back to us at all times. That's just, just, it's like, we're like Ray Liotta in that one Hannibal movie where it's just, it's just Anthony Hopkins feeding him his own brain. Uh, 
That's what Hollywood thinks they should do for us. Uh, and that's why we get movies like House Party, which makes about as much sense. I mean, I'm sure Ray Liotta in that movie could watch this House Party. and make, It would make sense to him because most of his brain is gone. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I just, I, it, it does not sound appealing to me to watch a movie that I just kind of liked before, Mm -hmm. you know? And they didn't Um, do anything to change or improve it. (laughs) They made it worse. Like they took all the good things out of it and just made a worse movie. Uh, there's another element to mention here. Kid Cuddy is in this movie. I love Kid Cuddy. That guy's great. He's super charismatic. And the idea that the that the people behind House Party hired Kid Cuddy and then designed him to have a performance where he is a depressed weirdo version of Kid Cuddy. It's like, why did you hire him? <laughs> why are you doing this? Why are you taking like? The, this guy who's super charismatic and talented and having him just play this flat, weird performance. It makes no sense. Uh, it just blows my mind how dumb and, and ill-conceived this movie truly is. Yeah, that's, it's, I don't, I, I just, I'm, there are very few remakes that were any, ever any good. Mm-hmm. And from, uh, you're not the only person who has said this. Um, you know, I've heard this from a couple different people in the last couple hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I just leave shit alone, you know? I mean, make your make a different movie about a house party. Yeah. Yeah, just go make your own house party movie. Go make a new, go make a modern version of a house party movie. Uh, Because that's not what this is. This is just a random assemblage of things you kind of remember and a lot of shit that doesn't make any sense and is poorly motivated, uh, filled with actors who are just, I mean, I think I've seen Jacob Lattimore act before, but he's not acting here. He's just kind of, he just seems lost. This poor guy just seems to be wandering into every scene going, what am I supposed to be doing? (laughs) We're putting up, there's a... Wait, there's a tailor here, and I'm going to put on one of LeBron James's suits that don't fit, but suddenly it does fit. Oh, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Just let just give me my paycheck. <laughs> the poor guy just seems so weird. But I, the person I feel bad for, the truly the the hero of this movie, uh, the the unsung person who just deserves so much. He deserves like to have his. his a paycheck, a bigger paycheck than everybody else. And that's the editor who had to look at this garbage every single day and try and make sense. <laughs> that poor bastard. I can finally just imagine. gave up. Huh? Just finally gave up and said, just, I don't know, just edit whatever to, to whatever. That poor bastard just did whatever he could to try to make this make sense. It, it it doesn't work, but I mean, you can see that he really, he really tried. <laughs> I felt I feel for him because I can't imagine he had anything to work with. Yeah, <laughs> that he, he managed to to assemble this in a way that vaguely makes sense. I mean, that's a, that's an achievement, and and he he uses that LeBron James basketball footage as much as possible to to make this <laughs> a, to make this look like a real movie. Oh, I hate it so much. All right, uh, let's get on to uh, the the meat of this one, which is again we're back to our we're back to really our, our bread and butter at, in turn in this time of year. It, this time of year, it's horror movies. You've got to have good horror movies in January because uh, January is that dead period where just a lot of trash is out there, and you have to sift through a lot of trash to get to something. And uh, a couple of horror movies are making some waves this month, and we watched both of those. And we're going to start with. Uh, we're going to start with Skin of a Rink. Uh, Skin of a Rink is a Canadian horror film uh, that has garnered a lot of buzz, apparently, at the Toronto Film Festival last year and kind of picked up buzz lately as it got picked up by IFC Midnight and they're going to put it out. Uh, and they kind of they got people talking about it for whatever reason, about uh, people talking about their experience of seeing it and saying it's one of the scariest things they've ever experienced. And that really got me excited about this movie. So the premise of the film is that there are two little kids in a house in the middle of the night. They wake up, their parents aren't there. 
the kitchen kind of snatches of, of dad saying something vaguely about going to the hospital and somebody's injured. Mom is acting very weird, but that's, that's what you might think is a plot for this movie because realistically there, there is no plot. Uh, realistically, this movie is just a series of static camera shots staring at various different dark parts of a room. And you're left there just watching that, searching the frame, trying to find something. You're trying to, you're looking for something to move. You're looking for something to happen in any way. Maybe you're catching a little bit of a dialogue. Like maybe there's a demon who's talking to the little kids. The kids are four. You rarely even, you only ever see their feet aside from maybe a moment where you see a face. Uh, they're watching cartoon, creepy little 1930s cartoons for some reason. It's supposed because to be they're dream. in the public domain. <laughs> yeah, I think this that's is really why a dream logic, but I'm not. I can't be sure of that. Uh, the I don't know. I I wanted to buy in because everybody's talking about their theatrical experience of this, and I'm sure that is probably the most ideal way to watch this. It, it is so bizarre, though, to to try and watch this film and just try and find whatever it is that everybody else is seeing, because I just I don't see it, man. I I, <laughs> I mean, you you were angrier than I was watching this. I love horror movies. I. Even more than horror movies, I like movies where stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And. I realize now that this was a short before they made it into a feature. Mm-hmm. However, I think it, I have, I have not gone back to see the short because I was just too angry having to sit through this hour and 40 minutes. Um, but I just kept thinking how much better this would be as a short because nothing happens. Nothing in this movie. I mean, it, it's constant, just like, Static shots of door moldings for like literally five minutes at a time mm-hmm. with nothing else. Yeah. It just like, like, let's, let's shoot this and we want to pad this movie so that we can get a feature out of it. So we're going to do five minutes of this static shot of this door molding. And we'll put some, you know, like grain and shit on the, on the video and make it look like a film. And, I get the thinking about it later. I thought, okay, I get it. It's supposed to be, you know, just fragmented like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But the n- real nightmare to me was like having to sit through it and getting my headache from <laughs> the added grain on the, you know, and the noise on the film. And mm-hmm. um, I thought that the uh, towards the end, when you have this demon or dream demon or whatever, you know, saying go upstairs. And all that stuff, I thought that was effective. Mm-hmm. But by then, I was completely out of the movie. I just, I cannot sit and watch something that looks like an Andy Warhol experimental film of the, you know, of the Empire State Building that's 24 hours long. It just, that doesn't, I really felt the length within the first 10 minutes of it because it was just nothing Yeah, happened. I think, and I don't want to take anything away from anybody's theatrical experience of this, but I think if you're watching this, I think you're kind of you're create you're part of a vibe. At one for one for one point, you're you're part of a vibe in a room full of people that are probably trying to achieve the same vibe, and and that's kind of getting everybody on the same page is very exciting, and that group experience is obviously I think very exciting. I think also though, if you're in a theater watching a movie and you're dedicating your time in that way. I think you're trying to see something. I think you're trying to make an excuse for yourself that this was worth my time. And I think that is part of why a lot of people are claiming this movie is really, really great. They're claiming to see something in this that, I mean, I I don't, that a lot of other people don't see and you and I just don't see. Um, I really think that's got to be part of this because I honestly, I've, I've tried, I tried very hard to see what everybody else wanted, what everybody else saw in this. And it's just, th- there's atmosphere, there's an idea, there's some intrigue in there for sure, undeniably, but 
in the end, it feels like we're just being taunted. It feels like the director is just screwing with us. Like, how long can I make these people sit here staring at nothing, trying to make sense of this? It feels like a taunt. It feels like I a would, game. I would love it if he came out and said, okay, you guys, I wanted to make something as pretentious as possible just to see if you guys would praise it, you know, as some new like horror masterpiece yeah. because I heard that. I heard that a lot um, during midsummer because I love midsummer and people, oh. you know, you did too, mm -hmm. but I heard a lot of people say, Oh, it's pretentious garbage. I was like, let me guess. You love skin of <laughs> It It does. It feels like a colossal joke on people. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really did. Like I talked to you before I said, it felt like an Andy Warhol sixties experimental movie where the joke was on the viewer and he you know he said that in the 60s and i got the exact same feeling from this movie absolutely i i get that feeling a lot about this movie uh the the director hasn't i don't know i've not read much of what the director has said about this i know that he had a youtube channel and the youtube channel that he had was about getting people to submit their dreams like write out what your dream looked like and then he would remake that cinematically which is a cool idea in about 10 minute chunks this is an entire what 100 minute movie of the, have that idea and uh, it's not it's just not man i just don't know i i i feel like i'm i feel crazy because i like i can see that there are things here that that could that are intriguing there's good filmmaking ideas that just don't go anywhere. I, I mean, and I feel like I, I was kind of questioning myself, you know, cause I, I do that a lot where I'm just trying to defend where I'm, where I sit on a movie. I feel like I've got to answer these questions in my mind that I think other people are going to ask me. And I feel like I can defend like my space in terms of my attention span. Cause I think there's a lot of this, that this is just an attack on the attention on the modern attention span saying, Oh, fuck you guys and your phones and your TikTok. Like you can't pay attention for more than two minutes. That's why you don't like this movie. Well, no, I love Gene Dealman. Okay. So <laughs> I win. Okay. Gene Dealman is a movie where not a lot of things happen, but it's a great movie because it, it gives you things, gives you just enough to wander around and some ideas for a while and really think of something. This movie gives you a lot of time to wander around, but you don't wander around within the movie. It's too dark. The It's not nearly as just as thought out or composed as that film because that film has color and granted they're not nearly the same movie but the this the idea that that a movie requires patience i've proven that i also love al hazard balthazar which is about a, a, a donkey in the 1930s i mean i've proven that i have an attention span so i don't need anybody taunting me about my lack of attention span which kind of feels like this is yeah i i I have talked to several people. I have my little, you know, my little gay uh, Twitter DM group that we talk about it. We, you know, we're the ones who gush about Pearl and um, some of us loved Megan. And, you know, it's just this movie, one of, one of my friends said, Oh, you know, seeing the theater was just such an amazing experience. He saw it in Quebec or somewhere. And such an amazing experience. And I can understand where it might be, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I was, I just, if you don't grab me in the first five minutes of a movie that where something has to happen, whether it's like just dialogue or anything, this just didn't have anything happen. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, 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 I, I also am tired of, being made to feel like I don't get something because I don't enjoy it. I get it. I appreciate what Kyle Edward Ball was doing, mm -hmm. honestly. And if I, you know, I he said, uh, what did he say on Twitter? Let me uh, thank you to everyone who came out for the opening night of Skin and Marink. To those who loved it, thank you. To those who hated it, thank you for coming out and taking a chance on weird low budget movie. Anyways, mm -hmm. I love weird low budget movies. Mm -hmm. I do. I will watch. I watched the Terror Train remake twice. Come on. I it, it's I, it just wasn't for me, and that's okay for people to say. You know, I I don't 
feel the need to be like, oh my God, I loved it. Oh, it was such, it was transformative just to fit in. And I feel like some of the people who are saying that about this movie are doing that. It's the kind of movie that feels like it feels like it rewards that kind of person who who feels who likes to feel superior to others. Like I see something in this that you don't. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. maybe I get to maybe I'm one of those guys sometimes. Maybe I'm that way about Gene Dealman. I don't know, but it feels like it's that with intention. <laughs> like it's uh, it's a movie made for those people who like to say that I see things that nobody else does. But I think more moreover though the 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 theatrical experience of this movie. I think that is that is a big difference. I think people who sat down in the theater, you're feeling a vibe in that room. Yeah, Everybody's I kind think of you're right. collectively holding their breath watching this. They're also trying to make a movie happen in front of them because that's something that your mind does. Now, and speaking of which, I do like I said, the, the visual elements I do like. Like there's a whole there's a whole idea in here somewhere about the way in which you when you look into darkness and you see something in darkness that Maybe not moving, but it it looks like a shape. Your mind mm-hmm. automatically tries to turn that into something. And I thought at a at a particular point that that's what he was going for. Like there's a scene where the kids go up to mom's bedroom, and it appears that mom is in there. And I thought, is that maybe just a pile of like clothes, or is that like a a pile of pillows, maybe? And the movie gives that up immediately and just admit, yeah, that, no, that's her. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm like that was really well, like really intriguing and like, completely dumped him immediately. She doesn't say much, but she, she tells him to look under the bed. He looks under the bed, just darkness, nothing, nothing, just darkness. And then yeah, he, he gets, sits back up, and mom's still there. Like I, I'm looking for some paranormal activity shit. Paranormal activity <laughs> does the same thing, but something actually happens. Like she's standing in the she's standing in the hallway in that you know that that uh, darkness camera, whatever that camera view is, that green camera thing. Yeah, yeah. See in the dark. She's just standing there, and the and the film whirs by you and shows you that hours are passing, and then suddenly it stops. And she's standing still and tension builds and you're waiting and you're waiting. And then finally something fucking happens. <laughs> and it's as if this movie, it's as if the people who made this movie go, okay, we're going to do the same thing, but nothing will happen. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see how people take to that. I just, with the line from Steel Magnolia's an ounce of pretense, pretension is worth a pound of manure. <laughs> I mean, I, I get, I if he was being genuine with this movie, mm-hmm. cool. Congratulations. Yeah. You did something different that a lot of people are, you know, talking about and you'll get more work out of this, but I'll tell you right now, if it's more of the same, I, this is a movie I want to see remade as a narrative. <laughs> <laughs> if he could do that. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know? Because I do think he's talented. I do think some of the compositions that he does, some of the some of those uh, camera moves, he definitely has an idea of how to like how to uh, build tension, but he doesn't build it to anything. Like there's no release at any point, and yeah, instead the tension sort of just peters out. Like you're, while you're waiting for it to to crescendo. Uh, and and that's just not it's it's not pleasant. It's not fun to watch. There's nothing fun here. Uh, not that every horror movie has to be fun. Not there are a lot of unfun horror movies, but I mean, give me something to hold on to. I mean, the, the the main thing that you get to hold on to in this movie is like all the toys are sticking to the ceiling. Yeah, but I, honestly, I can't tell you how this movie ended. I can't remember the ending. I was pretty checked out by then. I don't. I. Don't remember an ending. I have no idea how this movie ended. That's how that's how much this movie lost me was that I watched this movie and I don't remember how it ended. Like I could watch it again now and be surprised by the ending because I don't remember it. But I don't think anything actually happened. Yeah. Continuing here on the uh, Everyone's a Critic movie review podcast and our next movie is easily the best movie I watched this past weekend, and it's a movie called Sick, 
written and directed by the absolutely, utterly, completely brilliant Kevin Williamson. The movie is a slasher film set in COVID times where uh, you've got just the basics of a slasher movie. And the thing about it is, is that when somebody is a master of the basics, they can deliver something that you've seen before, but it's better than what you've seen before because it's so skillful. And that's what Kevin Williamson does. Uh, this movie, I mean, the opening element of it plays like Scream. You've got a character who is receives a text message. He doesn't know who it's from. It's a testy exchange. Uh, he arrives home. He's being, he finds his door open. Somebody is stalking him. And eventually, you know, what's going to happen here. But it's so amazing because Kevin Williamson uses the tools of a director so extraordinarily well that he is, or John Himes, excuse me, is the director. Uh, Kevin Williamson wrote it, but uh, the he uses the tools of a director so very, very well. Uh, the tension is so incredible. The way he scans the room to show you an open door and then some, then you hear a noise. And then, I mean, again, it's incredibly basic, but it's so well done that I found myself kind of catching my breath and, and, uh, you know, hiding behind my hands and like the classic things you want to be doing when you're watching a slasher movie. I, I really impressed. Then you get to the actual meat of the story. You meet the two main characters. You you uh, then see them begin to be stalked. Uh, you've got a character who arrives essentially as cannon fodder to provide more bodies, uh, that, which, again, classic slasher movie, but well-made, well-crafted character who serves a terrific purpose. And every character in this movie has a purpose to fulfill. Uh, again, you've got just these very basic elements, but they all work so well because the direction by John Himes and the script by Kevin Williamson are so tight and 82 minutes. Thank you for 82 minutes because this movie can only really sustain 82 minutes. It's the, just under this premise, what they're going for here can only sustain that. They stuck to that and it really, really worked on me. Yeah. I, I, I had heard what, you know, this is a great slasher movie. This is, you know, you're going to, you're going to love the chase scenes and all that. And I really did. Um, I thought that the, the denouement of the movie was a little fast. Mm -hmm. You know, once you found out what the whole impetus behind the killings are or the attempted murders in most cases, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, expand on that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean um right i thought that uh because of the fact that there's really only four character four characters aside from the killer and one other person who kind of explains it i th- i thought that that was really well done because you actually made this movie last this long and still have you know you're not get you're not going through 16 different kills like a like a normal horror movie yeah um i really appreciated that i appreciated you know how fleet it was um i i'm not i don't want to give anything away i was told to go into this without you know without looking up who was in it or anything like that and i think that was for uh for the advantage of not knowing who uh the killer is mm-hmm. you know, the person behind the killing um because that person is such a really you know well-known character actor that you're like oh shit and then when you realize oh this is a mrs Voorhees kind of vibe you know where you don't see this person throughout the entire movie so yeah i was i was it was a fun slasher movie and I, I, I personally enjoyed the fact that it, there wasn't, it wasn't a super, you know, convoluted message, really. Um, it wasn't super, well, you did this to me and then this and this and this and this. It was just like, okay, you did this and we're going to kill you because we're fucking crazy. But the thing about so. it is, and, and I don't, I don't agree with the killers in any way, but they at least felt justified and, could explain to you exactly why they were doing what they were doing. And I, I, I appreciated that because, uh, you know, there's, it, this is not an unmotivated killer. 
I yeah. got a I got a few quibbles here and there about you know things that like the, there's a there's a character who survives something they probably shouldn't. There's a chase yeah. that becomes very very improbable involving a lake that I kind of kind of <laughs> didn't work for me. But I was a I, I get I get what they were going for. It felt like kind of an homage element, which is fine because this movie doesn't overdo homage. It, it is a, it's its own self-contained thing. It also takes you know uh, the modern you know 2020 existence and and uses it very very well while not dragging it either. There isn't this isn't about whining about wearing masks. It just it's reflective of the reality that that uh, some people took it seriously and some people didn't take it seriously enough. Uh, you know, that's a, that's really terrific. Uh, I was, I was kind of worried that the, the theme of the movie was going to be you know, kind of anti-mask or something. And <laughs> thankfully it wasn't, uh, cause it could so easily go that way. Uh, but it, it's, it really rode that line between some people were irresponsible and some people are not, uh, this movie is really, really well made and it's, it's impressive. It, it definitely has a, like, a scream feel to it, but it, it feels fresher just because the, the, the direction is just that little bit different. It's just a little bit quicker. Uh, and of course the motivation is a little, is ever so slightly different, but the same, mm-hmm. it's very familiar without, you know, ripping off and just giving you everything you've ever seen before. You know, uh, I think coming out of house party, I really admire a movie that can feel like <laughs> other movies without having felt like it ripped off everything and just like, Hey, remember that? Hey, remember that? Hey, remember that? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, I mean, it's derivative, but mm-hmm. sure. Not, you know, it's, it's not that serious. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, okay. We get what you're doing. Um, one of your quibbles about, you know, people, some people surviving, something that they shouldn't have Mm -hmm. that that speaks to something um that's kind of a little more prevalent in horror movies nowadays right and i don't know if it's just you know people okay or i'm gonna use scream from last year scream five i'm sorry or five cream if you are nasty (laughs) which they they totally should have made it five cream i mean come on um (laughs) You've the writers and directors seem to fall so in love with their characters that they can't let anybody die, and therefore there are no stakes. Yeah, and I think that that when you said I have a couple of quibbles, like somebody shouldn't have survived something, I think that's Kevin Williamson falling so in love with his characters that well, I gotta kill somebody, so I'll kill this one, but I'll make him a little more unlikable at first. But I can't kill this person because they're too like, you know, it's and it's they did that with the twins in um, the last screen movie. And they did that with several people in that movie who should have died. Hmm. Um, I still and I get you. Oh, well, I'm not going <laughs> to spoil it, but but now I have to see it because they're going to New York now. So I guess. I well, need yes. It. Yes. And they're bringing Kirby back. Thank you. <laughs> Hands down the best character from Scream 4. Um is coming back and Kirby was dead. Um, well, the rules of horror movies, Sean, you never see, you never know if somebody's dead, if they die off screen. Hmm. And one thing I'm going to spoil for you in, uh, five cream is that there's a, cause you won't see it the first time you see the movie and you'll probably only watch it once. Um, I was not a fan of the last cream scream. Sorry. I keep doing that. Uh, I I shouldn't say I wasn't a fan. I just, I, it wasn't as brilliant and wonderful as, you know, I think everybody that I know, especially like 18 to 30 year olds are like, Oh my God, it was the best horror movie ever. No, it's really not. Hmm. It's really, really not. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, They are, they're showing uh, a YouTube clip about the stab movies. And, Ryan Johnson directed a stab movie in this universe. (laughs) And it talks about, it's basically, you know, it's a riff on the last Jedi where everybody's like, Oh my God, he ruined my franchise. And you see the ghost face with a Chrome mask and a, like a uh, flamethrower, you know, it's like, okay, 
But in the corner of the YouTube clip, it says Woodsboro survivor Kirby, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so she actually survived. So they put that in there. <laughs> and now she's coming back for Scream 6. So Oh, that's funny. But again, that's that, you know, Kirby should have died. But I can see where they want to bring her back because she was the best character in that movie. Uh, the same with Jennifer Jolie in Scream 3, mm-hmm. Parker Posey's character. Right. She died, technically kind of died off screen, so she could come back. But I... I like I like it better that they took the chance and killed her because she was arguably the best character in that movie. Uh, in though, a, in a terrible, terrible, terrible film. Screen three is awful. Um. <laughs> you know what? Though? It's like all the all the screen movies have stuff I don't like. And same with Star Wars stuff I don't like in every single movie, and that includes The Empire Strikes Back, fanboys. Uh, but I don't hate any of them. You know, I don't, I did not really enjoy this last one. And if you see it, you'll have to watch it before the new one comes out, obviously. I know. Um, But a couple of the new characters are just insufferable and terrible. And that's what killed the movie for me. Uh, That doesn't sound fun. Uh, But the thing about this movie sick that we're talking about now, which is available now on Peacock uh, is that all of the, 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 the main characters are really great characters. Uh, they, they're characters you root for. Uh, and, and Kevin Williamson just knows how to write this movie. Like he, he, you'll notice like when he writes the screen movies, he writes only the good ones. Then you go to three and it's Aaron Kruger and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then you go to this new one and he's not involved and, what happens? It falls off a little bit, you know. Uh, he's the key. He's the key to it. And uh, I think nothing against John Himes. I think John Himes did an amazing job directing this, and certainly he's responsible for all for that um, those incredible camera moves that really make this film feel so dynamic. But it's it's about uh, just the, the it's about taking things and ele- taking things that are well known and elevating them. Uh, yeah. I always talk about this when it comes to romantic comedies. Romantic comedies they're so often very very the same. What makes a romantic comedy that you can still do today is just finding that one element that just makes it a little bit different or a little bit better. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a pairing that nobody's seen before that nobody expects that really works, like a movie called like Marry Me with uh, Owen Wilson and uh, Jennifer Lopez. I never would have thought that movie would work. I thought going into it, it was going to be terrible. They had amazing chemistry and Owen Wilson's sort of strange uh, vibe with, with Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez. You wouldn't see those two people connecting, but they do. And it's his sort of oddity that makes it work. It's just that little, it's that touch of something that just is the difference that makes it better. And you can do that with any genre, and you're going to have to do that to make a great genre movie is find a little something that's a little bit different uh, that elevates what you do. And if you're going to make a very basic slasher movie, which Sick is mostly just a basic slasher movie, find those little elements that are just make it just a touch better, like Gideon Adlon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. I think everybody should watch this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree. Anything else you'd like to add about sick? Um, I wish there'd been a mask for the killer or a costume <laughs> or something. So you'd have something to draw. Well, <laughs> no, I just, I, I just, it, the, the hoodie killers, you know, yeah. they kind of, it, that gets a little old because mm-hmm. there's so many of those. So. Yeah. But anyway, that's I, I have minor minor quibbles with it, you know that, and one of the you know a character who should have died. Um, that's a, that's it. All right, uh, sick is highly recommended. Now uh, Sunday night, uh, as we're recording this on a Monday, just the night before the Critics Choice Awards took place, uh, it was a terrific show. Uh, very proud to be part of the Critics' Choice Association, and of course, very happy to have voted for the winning film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which takes home, uh, just took home just big award after big award, directing, writing, uh, the award for Best Picture, of course, uh, uh, Kiwa 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 Kwan won the uh, 
best supporting actor. Like it's just, it, it really five awards out of the 14 it was nominated for is pretty great. And very proud of that. Uh, also winning last night was uh, Kate Blanchett for tar, which is again, when I voted for Kate Blanchett's incredible in that film. And then, then uh, one that we've talked about you and I, Brendan Fraser in the whale uh, wins best actor. And we don't like this movie. <laughs> We don't care for this movie at all. But did we agree that Brendan Fraser at least is very good in it? Oh, yeah, he's great. It's just he is a standout in a movie that looks like a stage play that was adapted from a stage play, but doesn't do anything beyond be a stage play. Yeah. And it's just it's a mean, ugly movie that's that's around him. Did you watch Brendan Fraser's speech? I did. So it was beautiful, and I loved his. I loved his emotion, and I really feel for him. He does such a he's such a wonderful performer, and I know what he was going for in that speech in the end. But is it really his argument that his character survived? Because <laughs> I mean, he finishes the speech last night. <laughs> Brendan Fraser says, telling telling people who are in the situation that his character in the movie and it was just he's dying from heart failure from having eaten himself to death. He's telling them to go into the light. And it's like, Brendan, you're telling them to die? <laughs> yeah. I... Like, I don't want to, I know I'm parsing here. And I know he was going for something like he was telling them to try and heal and find, you know, find the light outside their apartment, hopefully, or something like that. I know what he is going for, but if I've seen the movie <laughs> and I just like, it, it struck me as like, that doesn't quite connect. Yeah, I, I again, I get what he was going for. It was, I think he thought of it, you know, like kind of for a while and said, oh, you know, go into the light. And all I could think of was Tangina from Poltergeist. Go into the light, Carolyn. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, as a fat it. person, yeah, go ahead. As a gay fat person, like he played in the movie, that was not the message. You are not obese brendan fraser at all i mean you're bigger than you were an encino man obviously but mm -hmm. he, he was never going to have to worry about being ugly or being actually fat unless he you know starts eating himself to death but just the you know it was kind of, it always comes off condescending and especially when like he played somebody and he had to get into makeup and a fat suit and all that it's like uh, it just it comes off as a little inauthentic and I know he doesn't mean it that way but right. well, after years and years and years of mm -hmm. having go ahead sorry just years and years and years of having all this you know like perf Hollywood perfection drilled into your head and then a regular weight person is telling you oh you know if you if you're morbidly obese get up off the couch and go into the light if that comes off as like kill yourself you know because <laughs> <I mean>, <laughs> that's kind of what he did in this movie he just killed himself by not getting himself any help and that that was his his speech was the antithesis of what the movie said Absolutely. On top of which, he's starring in a movie that, while he is, he invests that character with a wonderful soul and and uh, and a sort of inner beauty. The movie around it is so cruel to him. It, everyone, aside from maybe Hong Chao, like especially the daughter, she just embodies mm -hmm. cruelty to a person like him. And yeah. and it's really, it just feels wrong to try and treat this like this story as if it were uplifting this is not uplifting this is shame this is shaming people this is putting shame on people uh you should feel bad in this situation and and i'm not saying being you know eating yourself is not good don't do that and if you're putting yourself in a position where your health is at risk and and you're not trying to save yourself please try to save yourself please do there's there's still a place in the world for you this movie though seems to be saying like maybe death isn't so bad for you like at this point like you've you've kind of gone to so far that maybe you know go into the light <laughs> honestly <laughs> like because it's so cruel yeah it's just i mean 
don't watch this and think that every fat person is like him. And I get what he did in the movie and how, you know, he had a great performance, but I don't know. It just, it's reductive. Mm -hmm. Everything this week is a little reductive, you know, to state that, you know, he is somehow doing fat people a favor by playing one in a movie who is so depressed that they eat themselves to death. I mean, if I want to watch that, I'll watch hoarders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, know, and you, you can't just, you can't let a fat person be happy on film. And I think I said that when we talked about the movie, but why couldn't he have said, you know what? I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to see if I can get better. And you know, that's, I'm going to do what's right for me as opposed to always making the wrong decisions. So is Aronofsky's ultimate thing, just fatalism. Is it just that, that the world is miserable and some people should be allowed to be so miserable that they just go away. Like, I mean, the wrestler, what happens at the end of the wrestler? He yeah. kills himself in the ring. I mean, you go to, you go to other movies, like Requiem for a Dream Mother. is nonstop yeah. misery where people end up dead because of the choices that they made. And, and, and it seemed he almost makes the, the, the universe that he's inhabit or creating almost makes it seem like that's probably the better option <laughs> if they're dead. The mother is kind of yeah. the same way. It's like, wouldn't these characters just be better off if they were dead? I know, but then he thinks he seems to think what he's doing is uplifting. Not at all. <laughs> I don't understand what he's going for if it's if it's not a celebration of death. But clearly, Brendan Fraser doesn't see it that way. Brendan Fraser in the speech even talks about how inspiring he finds Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, I just, I, 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 he does have a particular sort of fatalism about every person that he makes a movie about. I mean, it, you could almost push it. If you want to really push it, you could almost say he's like, he's like advocating for eugenics. Like he's just advocating <laughs> for a world where, like, hey, if they don't want to be alive anymore, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not a worldview that I could get behind unless you're a really terrible person then I might not mind so much that you're gone but if you're a good person I don't want you I don't want you dead I may not know or care about you but I did I care about you I guess in in theory but I don't want you to die <laughs> Darren Aronofsky <laughs> seems to think that you reach a particular point in a particular life like nah just fuck them <laughs> they're better off let them die Randy yeah. the Ram Get him in the ring. Let him kill himself. That's what he wants to do. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I it's it's really interesting. It was a great. He's so emotional in the speech, and it, and it's hard not to be. I was I was moved. I I choked up listening to to the speech. It just it caught me there at the end, like wondering if he understood the movie that he was making because it's like that is not what happened. Going into the light is dead. It's not inspiring. Yeah. It's dead. He dies. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, he floated. He he was magic. He was a magical obese person. <laughs> he grew wings and uh, lived happily ever after with uh, getting to see his daughter. Who continued she lightened to his heart so much that he just floated from now on. She continued to be cruel to him, made jokes about his fat flying. <laughs> uh, you're too fat to fly. <laughs> Sorry, that's an old Margaret Cho joke. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, I loved the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, be sure to check out all the clips. Critics' Choice on Twitter, at Critics' Choice on Twitter. You can watch all the clips and uh, see the... The wonderful behind-the-scenes photos, the the lovely moments where the you know the actors are having a moment to talk with each other and congratulate each other. It's really it's wonderful to be part of the Critics Choice Association, and I just can't thank them enough for allowing me uh, to be part of it. All right, moving on to our I want to I'm going to put this in air quotes classic because uh, <laughs> because Jeff didn't watch the actual classic. It's Body of Evidence. <laughs> So body of evidence is also the subject of, of the uh, next episode of our 
Everyone's a Critic uh, spinoff podcast, Everyone's a Critic 1993, with uh, myself, Amy, and MJ. But it just so happens that alongside being a horror movie expert, uh, Jeff, you are a Madonna expert. So give us your take on Body of Evidence. This movie, I defended so much when it came out. (laughs) So much. Um, And I watched it not too long ago. It was just like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even pay attention to it. It's so bad. (laughs) Uh, Madonna plays a woman, uh, Rebecca Clarkson, who is accused of murder because she fucked an old man to death. Um, She's as dangerous as any gun or knife. Yes. Yes. She is the weapon. (laughs) She's got a magic killer pussy. (laughs) Well, I mean, I have heard that before about her. Um, you know, she allegedly fucked him to death because he was handcuffed and they found a video. And um, so she, you know, she's going to go on trial and be charged with murder. And Willem Dafoe plays her defense attorney who she has a, I guess, steamy affair with. Mm, a very uh, sweaty definitely affair. Kinky, definitely kinky. I don't know if it's, you know, very sexy unless you... <laughs> you know, are really into Madonna and candle wax, but I, (laughs) okay. So first things first, this movie has a great cast with the exception of Madonna. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, You know, Willem Dafoe, Joe Montaigne, Jillian Moore, and Archer, great actors Mm -hmm. in this absolute execrable piece of shit of a movie. Uh, (laughs) I given the right character and the right situation, Madonna is fine. Mm -hmm. She was great in a league of their own. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, Desperately seeking Susan. Nobody else could have played that the way she played it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I actually thought for parts of it, she was really good in Evita. Um, that's a qualified really good Uh um but this was during her let's push every boundary and envelope that we can possibly push just to see what we can get away with and i'm gonna tell you you know and i completely agree with her her attitude about look sex isn't dirty sex isn't bad and if i've got to be the one who's gonna um, blaze the trail, so to speak. You know, get us over that next hump. As far, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, you know, push the boundaries and stuff. That's great. I fully applaud her for that. Um, I thought that the sex book was great and it was very funny. Uh, I thought you know her video for Human Nature after all of that came out was uh, definitely telling. You know, I'm not you know, let's talk about sex and I can't talk about it because you'll think I'm a whore and all that. Right. The backlash that she got, but this, when she's trying to act it, it's just, wow. Um, And again, Madonna defender, but I, I couldn't sit through this whole movie again. I, I don't even remember if I sat to the end having had seen it, you know, a few times in the nineties, but Man, she brings everybody down in this movie. She's so bad. Like, <laughs> She's so bad. Like, and I could, I could justify some of it. Like, the, her, her look, her, de- her, her look, and and the the demeanor. This very boring demeanor. Uh, if you wanted to explain it as she's trying to fool the jury into thinking she's boring. I could buy that, but there's never any indication that that's what's happening. <laughs> the movie doesn't make that plain because the movie is so focused uh, on just the fucking and just making this about fucking that it doesn't t- take a moment to try and care about this plot. I mean, this is basically a porno film that is interrupted by the worst episode of Law and Order ever. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so it's just all the choices are bad. Every choice in this movie is bad. 
what stood out to me and what we talked about a little bit more in the in the spinoff podcast that the idea that this was a movie that was released in theaters reflects something about <laughs> the times like we lived in a time in the in the early 1990s where it was perfectly acceptable to be in public with a hard on <laughs> if you're a white male if white cis male it's perfectly that's apparently that's okay <laughs> fair enough yeah <laughs> I just I blew MJ's mind. MJ is 18 years old. I blew their mind when I told them that 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 movie came out in theaters because they could not believe the movie this gross and pornographic was in a movie theater, a mainstream movie theater, not its own porno theater. This was in a theater. <laughs> Thing that that speaks to is the power of Madonna. In, in 1992, part, yeah. it's arguably she was one of the biggest stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily movie stars, but if they had picked out an actual movie star to do this instead of just a star who was known for sex and pushing the envelope, like, can you imagine Julia Roberts in this movie? No, mm. you can't mm. no. because she can act. And <laughs> it's just, it's, it's like, would, okay, if we put, she Mac- would not do that. Because it's no, so dumb, no. she would not do it. But th- this is like this was a Sharon Stone, basic Ugh. instinct kind of thriller that wasn't particularly thrilling. Um, I'm sorry, but Willem Dafoe, personally, mm-hmm. is so repulsive physically <laughs> that. I mean, you gotta you gotta wonder why she would just want to fuck this guy, like right That's, away. It's, I mean, it's it's the plot. Uh, she needs to get him into a compromised position, I guess. But why? Him? <laughs> yeah, oh my God, cast why? cast cast Alec Baldwin. He was big at this time. <laughs> it would have been you know, perfect was, for it. He really. I mean, he's sexy. Uh, Willem Dafoe is not sexy. <laughs> And arguably never has been sexy. But a really funny thing about this movie is is that it wants to, it has no self-awareness, first of all, but then it, it wants to both have its, it wants to have Madonna one way and another way. It wants to be able to have Madonna be your masturbatory fantasy for white cis males. And then it wants to have you also shame her and go, no, she's she's a fucking whore. She's a whore. And we're going to call her a whore every 10 minutes to remind you that she's a whore. But also, look at her naked. Look at her naked. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's her fault that you're so horny. It's her fault. It's not you. You don't have to yes. do it's not, You don't have to have any self-control. You're a, you're a man. You don't need to have any self-control whatsoever. <laughs> you don't have to. All The entire plot turns on the idea that men cannot say no to sex. <laughs> like that's the entire plot. If one of these horny old men that she's banging could just say no to sex, but no, they, she she has her her pussy power is just so overwhelming that there was no possibility these men could not had no opportunity to consent or not consent. Oh, that is so that is just so bafflingly wrong and stupid. Well, okay, so talking about Madonna in general, mm-hmm. I personally think that some of the shit that she's doing these days is pretty sad. Yeah. Um, and it's not because she's older. It's not because it's just it's stuff that people were doing five years ago. And Madonna has never been five years ago. Madonna's always been like two or three years in the future. But, you know, she's getting on TikTok and she's got grills still. And it's like, this is not the nineties girls stop, mm. you know? And, but she was so ahead of her time. And that's why this movie doesn't work because it's, this is a movie that was like, was it a year after two years after uh basic instinct? Yeah. about yeah. About that. When, ev- you know, like when every movie that came out, like sea of love and the big easy and all that stuff was all was yeah. running rampant. Yeah, and you know, it was all just like I and they just all thought, the, okay, she's sexy and she's got this 
erotic image and she put out this sex book and let's put her in this movie where it's just about sex and it's so misogynistic oh it's so misogynistic there's a scene in the movie early on where ann archer she comes in she's the assistant of the dead guy a detective calls her over to ask her to tell joe montaigne what she just what she's what she's reporting in this situation she starts to talk he cuts her off and then says what she was going to say yeah yeah that this whole movie it treats its women like weapons or doormats oh it's so awful only woman with any agency for even a second is julianne moore yeah but even she she, but even she has to come back at the end like why does she show up at the trial why does she show up at the crime scene at the end like she because of course this man uh, with the confusingly large penis, she has to come back to him because that's the rule. The, yeah. the wife always has to come back. You know, and I, I, I think that this movie could have been a decent thriller kind of mystery if it had been somebody else playing the lead. Mm-hmm. Madonna's good in smaller roles or roles that are closer to who she is, which doesn't you know that's not that's damning with faint praise obviously but right. she's just she's not somebody who can carry a movie right she needs a she also needs a very strong director she needs somebody with a a strong hand to get out of her what they need out of her as opposed to her yeah. i think i don't think yuli Adel probably gave her any direction i think he was just there he, he's such a creep his, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't know the guy, but his direction is creepy. He's he's a creep. He's a leering creep, and he might to make everybody into leering creeps, but also scolds because she's she's naked, but she's a whore. <laughs> a literal Madonna whore comic. It's so you bizarre, know? and the movie is not self aware enough to know that. There's only one good moment, one good self aware moment in this entire movie, and then we got to wrap up because we're almost out of time. But uh, there's a moment at the end when Madonna gives her villain speech where she's where she's telling Jurgen Prook now, yeah, I fucked you and I fucked him and I fucked him. That's what I do. I fuck and I get paid eight million dollars for it. And it's like mm-hmm. that's the thesis statement of the entire fucking movie. And you know what? Good for her. Good for her. Get your money, girl. I'm all for yeah. it. <laughs> I am all for it. I'm not going to shame that at all. Fuck whoever you want to fuck as long as it's consenting and you're not hurting anybody to have the sex that you want to have. I think she she's a bold trailblazer in that way. And I'm not saying that in any way mocking. I believe that. But this movie is so shitty. It's so intended to exploit her. And she thinks that she's in control of that. She's going into this, I believe, thinking that she's got control of that. And the movie just totally manipulates her into this situation where she's just the subject of such ridicule and hatred and, and vitriol. But at the same time, she's also lusted after and exploited for her nakedness. It is, it is a filmic crime. (laughs) We're watching a (laughs) woman be abused on screen. That's what we're watching. And it's gross and disgusting. And I hate this movie even more now. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, Dangerous Game turns 30 this year. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> we should just do a Madonna re- retrospective. Ah. Uh, Bonus. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll settle for maybe like a truth or dare commentary. Oh, <laughs> uh, lo- that movie was great. All right. We got to wrap it up. But Jeff, thank yeah. you. Thanks a lot. <laughs>